This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. If you've been increasingly hearing about children being diagnosed with ADHD or uh, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, it's not because kids are eating too much sugar, as some people believe, or spending too much time on gadgets. Perhaps it's because we're actually getting better at recognising and understanding this neurodevelopmental condition and how it affects different facets of children's behaviours, learning and social skills, among others. But as I said, there are many beliefs, uh, myths and misconceptions about ADHD that still persist. And it's because of these uh, misunderstandings um, that there are still barriers for people with ADHD, especially children and their families when it comes to understanding the condition and accessing support and interventions. So I'm speaking to my guest today to break down some of these myths to get a better understanding of what ADHD is. And my guest today is Dr. Sharifa Shamim Aga, Honorary Lecturer in Child and Adolescent Psychiatry from Cardiff University, joining me all the way from Wales, where I think it's pretty cold. Dr. Shamim, how are you today? Hi, hi. Um, I'm good, thanks. And um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, perhaps we can start with a broader understanding of um, neurodivergence and how ADHD fits under that. Okay, um, so neurodivergence is a term we use for when individuals' brain takes in information in different ways, processes it in different ways, and therefore an individual behaves in different ways, and is different in a sense, it's different from what is considered as typical. So basically this concept of neurodiversity is actually a shift towards recognizing that the idea that it's it's normal and acceptable for people to have brains that function differently from one another, like a variation. And this is not to consider it as a disability, but just the difference in how the brain works, learns and processes information. So in that context, then, how would you explain ADHD and, you know, um, with that understanding that everyone's brains is a little bit different? So neurodevelopmental conditions uh, such as ADHD, autism and intellectual disability fall under this umbrella of neurodiversity. Um, So neurodevelopmental conditions are like a broad range of disorders that involved disruption to brain development. And ADHD was actually long considered a behavioral problem, but actually um, genetic studies, evidence from genetic studies have highlighted that it's actually neurodevelopmental in nature. So it does involve um, disruption to brain development. Do we actually know what causes ADHD or what's how is the brain different in somebody who has ADHD? So, like, I think like many common medical disorders, ADHD is a complex disorder. And so it has lots of different causes and there's no single cause for ADHD. So what we know so far is that ADHD is largely a genetic disorder, but it's not entirely explained by genes as both inherited and non-inherited factors can contribute. 
But researchers and scientists are still ha still have yet to understand how these different factors interact and contribute to developing the condition. Now, when it comes to neuroimaging studies, these studies have found that there are some differences in the structure and functioning of the brain between people with and without ADHD. Um, but I think um, researchers still do not fully understand how these differences mean in terms of causing the symptoms of ADHD. And these differences cannot certainly be used to diagnose ADHD as yet. So what I'm trying to say is there, there's no test for ADHD. We can't do a genetic or blood test or brain scan basically to tell whether someone has ADHD or not. And this is this is similar sort of situation for autism spectrum disorders as well. Instead, diagnosis of ADHD is made by taking careful clinical history, um, including information from the home and the school, observing the child in the clinical setting. And to get a diagnosis of ADHD, the symptoms of ADHD have to be present for more than six months. Um, and they also have got to be causing um, difficulties uh, in different aspects of their lives. For example, difficulties in learning, getting in the way of friendships or family relationships. So I think I want to come back again to what is ADHD. Um, I think previously a lot of people used to think it's when a kid is hyperactive and can't stop running or can't sit still, right? Um, perhaps you could enlighten us. What exactly does it mean when um, a child has ADHD? So I guess we can go back to sort of the definition. So the ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And as we I said earlier, it's a neurodevelopmental disorder. And it's, it is characterized by a combination of severe attention difficulties, hyperactivity, and impulsive behavior. And these um, um, symptoms are impairing and causing difficulties across settings in, in the home and the school. So these are the core clinical dimensions, but sort of examples of these symptoms are things like, let's say like someone has difficulty concentrating, difficulty organizing tasks, or the feeling that you are always on the go, so the extra energy that you have. So th this this is the sort of the basic definition of ADHD. So I think um, it also helps to have an understanding of what ADHD is not, right? Uh, yeah, uh, and, and to better understand what it means then uh, for a person. Um, again, I think be the behavioral aspects uh, are probably so. Uh, dominant in terms of uh, how what you see in somebody with ADHD. What are some misconceptions uh, related to behaviours of a person with ADHD? Yeah, so there are some myths and misconceptions associated with ADHD and one of which is, is that people think that ADHD is just naughty behaviour and as we discussed earlier, ADHD is a neurodevelopmental condition and it's certainly not caused um, by things like bad parenting or lack of discipline and, as we say, naughty behaviour. I think parenting is already tough as it is, and um, but parenting a child with ADHD can be challenging with far more demands on the parent's time and attention 
But I think, um, it, it, so you almost have to be a super parent uh, to sort of, um, with specific parenting strategies, more structure, routines, and all these um, um, strategies can sort of help with this. But it's definitely not related to values or upbringing. Yeah, so if we look at what kinds of challenges do parents face, uh, if we take uh, one of those categories of, of challenges that you mentioned earlier, um, let's say the related to hyperactivity or perhaps even uh, the attention uh, aspect or the, the inattention aspect, um, how does that manifest uh, in, in daily life, in the um, home routines, in a child's daily routines that would present uh, additional challenges for parents and perhaps even teachers as well? So yeah, so individuals with ADHD can sometimes, let's say, experience um, difficulties regulating their emotions. So like children in, let's say children in the with ADHD in a preschool setting are more um, found to exhibit more problems with behaviour, non-compliance, like temper outbursts. I guess if they're not expecting something or if something doesn't go their way or if there's some frustration because they have um, difficulty regulating their emotion, then their res- their emotional response might be excessive, mm. yes. Also, I guess children with ADHD um, have more difficulty with concentration and um, organising themselves. So individuals with ADHD have difficulties in maintaining attention, executive functioning uh, and working memory. So they might have need extra help with organizing themselves in when they go to school, remembering things like homework. Um, they need the extra support as well to sort of um um and then especially in school when they're in they're when they're sort of in a formal education setting, um, they're required to sort of um sit still, listen quietly and concentrate all day long. For some children with ADHD, this is this this is quite difficult. Um, children with ADHD also may struggle to sort of control their impulses, like um, they kind of speak out of turn or interrupt others when they're talking to friends sometimes, which which can come off if sometimes maybe aggressive or unruly. I mean, they, they don't mean to be or they don't mean to do this, but um, but this sort of things can cause difficulty in, in, in social situations, especially with friends as well. Hmm. Is there an age, I guess, that um, some of these uh, may present? And, you, you know, if we're talking about kids not wanting to listen to instructions, not being able to sit still, some people may say, well, all kids are like that, aren't they? They'll grow out of it. Um, is that a misconception as well? Well, yeah, I think um, the difficulties that someone with ADHD can have can vary and change as well across their developmental stages. So, for example, a child in preschool settings, um, they they sort of have more temper outbursts and um, more problem behaviours. But then as they get older, as the child enters formal education, they will face new challenges like in the academic and social environment. So... So there's in, as you go into formal education, there's increasing pressure to sort of organize yourself, manage your attention during um, lessons. And especially if you move up to secondary school, you sort of have to manage your own timetable, move in uh, classes and 
and also there's also increasing difficulties with um perhaps with peers and social situations all right let's go for a quick break and when we come back we'll continue this discussion on adhd in conjunction with adhd awareness month in october i'm speaking to dr sharifa shamim aga honorary lecturer in child and adolescent psychiatry from cardiff university stay tuned to health and living on bfm 89.9 Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. My guest today is Dr. Sharifa Shamim Aga, Honorary Lecturer in Child and Adolescent Psychiatry from Cardiff University. It's ADHD Awareness Month in October and we're discussing what ADHD is, what it isn't, some myths and misconceptions surrounding it, especially people's perceptions of ADHD. On that note, Dr. Shamim, are there any differences between girls and boys? I mean, it does sound like some of the issues are related to certain stereotypes that people have about boys, for instance, like hyperactivity or they can't sit still, they fidget all the time. But are there any differences in the way that ADHD presents between girls and boys? Yeah, so the expectation is that ADHD only expresses as hyperactive, restless, disruptive behaviour. And and sort of this sort of limits this is this is the common expectation and this sorts of limits the detection of many more subtle presentations like like um so they say that girls might have a tendency or likelihood to sort of present um more inattentive difficulties so sort of like um internal symptoms like daydreaming emotional dysregulation or restless thoughts things like that so so because these are sort of not external presentations they are less overt and sometimes are likely to be missed as well because it's not the typical um, presentation what you would expect and you can imagine I, i suppose where they may be labeled as oh this girl is just spacey right um She's just always daydreaming um, and therefore miss the opportunity to actually um, look sort of uh, beneath the surface. Yeah, so definitely like um, the uh, because this is something that you wouldn't normally pick up and I guess they wouldn't sort of label her as, or, or say that she has ADHD or think that this could be a sign, a symptom of ADHD. But also like in those with um, sort of higher functioning, um, higher intellectual functioning, like I've, I've, I've met um, some people who have ADHD who've only discovered they had ADHD by the time they go to university and said that they've always struggled um, uh, in school, but they've sort of had ways of sort of applying a range of, um, of strategies to sort of compensate for their symptoms and because they're sort of a higher functioning, they also sort of go undetected and get missed. So you don't grow out of ADHD? It doesn't just sort of phase out? No. Um, as you mentioned earlier, um, so actually, um, I wanted to note that actually the clinical presentation of ADHD is quite varied. So basically, two individuals with ADHD diagnosis may not necessarily have the pattern of symptoms and it also may not necessarily be the same over the course of time. So um, as children get older, we see that 
um, some symptoms, we tend to observe that some symptoms like hyperactivity tend to sort of decline with age, but the concentra concentration problems can still remain. And these continuing symptoms that remain can still cause um, impairment or difficulties for the individual. Um, so from some research studies, we've shown that approximately two-thirds of individuals will experience symptoms of persistence into adulthood. So mm. so then if, uh, if ADHD is diagnosed um, early enough in childhood, um, what kind of support and interventions would children need? And what are we trying to achieve with it? If it is about the brain sort of there are structural um, differences and we can't change that. So mm. what are we trying to achieve uh, by helping children with ADHD? I guess it's important to sort of um, early detection and treatment is important for those with ADHD. So over in the UK, um, the guidelines kind of recommend a stepwise approach to treatment. So you, you begin with the non-drug intervention. So what you can do is sort of, um, so following ADHD diagnosis in the UK, the guidelines suggest that behavioral um, interventions are the first line of treatment with for children with milder ADHD. So these are things like um, providing education uh, support for the uh, in school, um, support groups for parents or the family, um, and education support could be things like classroom management strategies, also educating um, the family and the teachers, uh, people around the child about ADHD is also important. And also different um, behavioral techniques like um, uh, from some examples here, um, some special education services through the schools, they sort of um, have different strategies of like um, individual or small group in uh, like you know working in smaller groups or sort of um um having a one-to-one -one, um help for the child or creating more structure and or um things like um if a child is easily distracted you saw sort of seat the child away from windows and the doors um so these are these are sort of the initial behavioral modifications or um, educational support or classroom strategies that you can uh, implement. But if the symptoms are still causing major difficulties after all these changes are implemented, then um, medication may be offered in conjunction with all these strategies. Okay, all right. Um, in your work, um, I understand uh, you've been doing a little bit in the area of sort of developing resources um, to help parents and families talk about ADHD to their children. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about that because that's interesting. Um, as children grow older, I suppose that conversation becomes important. But it must be a difficult one as well um, for parents and families to, to start doing that. How do they even introduce that this is a diagnosis, this is a condition that you have, right? Um what have been your observations with some parents or families you've spoken to? Yeah, um, so the thing about ADHD is it's really, like, as you said before, it's really a misunderstood um, condition and there's a lot of stigma associated with it. And one of the barriers for engagement, really, um, for, for people seeking treatment of ADHD is actually the lack of knowledge and the 
negative beliefs about ADHD. And so what we've noticed is from speaking to parents and carers and children, we know that being diagnosed with ADHD is, is a really challenging and difficult time for them. Um, and especially um, for the fact that um, a lot of parents and children coming into the services um, for assessment, they, they, one of the main difficulties is that they do not have a full understanding of what ADHD is. And so that's, that's I guess, one of the first, first things is like, how do you tell your child you have ADHD? How do you explain to them what it is and, and basically what it means to have ADHD? Generally, um, have parents said that they struggle to even find materials that would help them sort of explain that in a very child-friendly and lay-friendly manner, right? Yeah, so so the a lot of the there is a, like a lot of material out there on the internet but um we found that we have been approached by families asking for materials such as this but they find that a lot of this material are sort of targeted at at adults or parents so so they're not in a, a suitable format for children some are quite negative or patronizing as well which which is not um great uh, <laughs> if you're telling someone um that you have ADHD um and and some have also said like you know it's not just explaining ADHD to their own child it's sort of explaining like one of the moms I've spoken to sort of said um it's explaining to her younger child why her old his older brother is behaving in a certain way the so it's also for yeah, siblings and um, for other family members as well. And um, so the material out there is not much aimed for children. And some things, sometimes it's too complex, sometimes it's um, too negative, or sometimes it's not even based on, on solid research evidence. So I guess that's where we sort of, um, we when we were approached by um, a local ADHD parent support group, looking for resources to explain ADHD to children, that's when we sort of what started as a general discussion led to a full collaboration to develop an animated educational resource for children. So we worked together with a team of healthcare professionals and children's and families um, with lived experience of ADHD to develop an animation video. Um, this was co-produced together with them through a series of focus groups. So we sort of asked them about the lived experience, asked them um, for ideas, and um, we sort of worked together. And I guess the key part of this process was, was that it was important to engage the potential users. Um, so in this case, the children with ADHD in the development and production of this animation, because so that we make sure that, you know, that the material is relevant, it's acceptable, and it, it will meet the needs of what, you know, what people want. I think one of the things that we discussed in the focus group was that it, it, it's important to tell children what it is, for what it is. Like, we're not saying it's amazing. We're not saying it's all bad. But then we, we, we're basing it on scientific facts to say, like, this is what it is. And this is what it means to have ADHD. And we sort of tried to explain it in very simple um, ways and in a way sort of animated and um, use examples as well um, from the experience of the children on describing what ADHD is like to them. Mm. 
So if we kind of like flip it around and look at if ADHD is um, not recognized uh, and children continue to struggle with it as they perhaps grow older, um, what is the link between undiagnosed ADHD and any physical or mental health outcomes later on in life? So yeah, so research has shown that I guess young people with ADHD are more likely to have morbid mental health problems like they're more likely to develop you can develop depression anxiety and things like that and it's also linked with um, other physical health problems like for example obesity or hypertension Um, it's also important to note that not all people with ADHD will go on to have these difficulties and outcomes as well like we said it's quite different everyone's outcome and depending on treatment as well But these are just a number of possible outcomes that people with ADHD can have. And researchers are trying to understand how these sort of link up and possible reasons as to why this sort of happened. So perhaps as a final takeaway, Dr. Shamim, well, what is your advice for parents in terms of perhaps some red flags to look out for uh, and what they should do if they think that um, their child is struggling in some of these areas? Yeah, so if you, I guess if you find if your child is struggling in in class or let's say, for example, is not able to um, listen, is the teacher have uh, raised concerns about the child, um, I guess it's important to sort of investigate and and find out why, like, if your, your child seems to be struggling, um, let's say, and the teacher has pointed out um, difficulties, it's worth sort of investigating what these difficulties are. Sometimes it's important to sort of rule out things like, does the child have a hearing problem or does the child have, um, does the child need glasses and things like that, you know. But also um, it's important to, um, I guess, uh, see, see a professional and get the child assessed. All right. Thank you so much. I've been speaking to Dr. Sharifa Shamim Aga, Honorary Lecturer in Child and Adolescent Psychiatry from Cardiff University about ADHD. You've been listening to Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.